I'll use the handheld mic. Can everybody hear me? Good morning. Good morning. Um, on behalf of myself and my family, I thank you for this opportunity to, to share this morning um, in the Word of God. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be coming out of the book of Jude this morning, and uh, I'll be reading uh, verses 17 through 25. And before we get into that, I'm just going to say a quick word of prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this time that we can come together to set aside in our week to pause and to study a word, um, to take time to worship you in song, to take time in fellowship with one another, to take time and just think about um, your goodness and your grace and your mercy to us. Father, we've gone through a lot during the course of a week. Father, even on today, some of us may be dealing with different issues or concerns, whether health-related or um, financially or emotionally, or even spiritually, Father God. So we pray, oh God, that you would just calm our hearts this morning, help us to experience the peace that passes all understanding. And we pray, God, that you would open our eyes and open our ears to hear what you have to say. We thank you, O oh God, and we give you praise. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I'm going to take some time here to read Jude 17 through 25, and it reads as follows. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, and how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And the church says, amen. As we look at our society today, we can't help but notice that we're living in a time where truth is considered relative. People are not standing on the Bible as being true. There is a lot of oversaturation, I would say, of opinions, of false narratives, of bad doctrines, uh, plaguing our television, uh, the Internet, and even out on the streets. And if not careful, lies about God, sin, salvation, and the Scripture can infiltrate the church. Now more than ever... It is time for the church to be vigilant and stand firm 
for the faith, even in the midst of all of this chaos. And this is not easy because the enemy is attacking us on every side. But we have to stand firm. According to scholars, after the death and resurrection of Christ, Jude became a Christian and then a teacher of the faith. Jude wrote this particular letter to a group of Jewish converts to Christianity. Um, Jude was uh, the, the half-brother of Jesus. Um, and this group of Christians that he wrote to, uh, they, were, they could have been from Palestine. And it appears that this group of Christians were being infiltrated by a group of people who were up to no good, essentially, tearing at the very fabric of the early church. So if we look back uh, just uh, a little bit in verses 3 through 4 of Jude, we'll see uh, what Jude has to say here. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. In the following verses, we will focus on the instructions that Jude gives to the saints to help them contend for their faith. And we're going to start in verse 17. Notice that Jude wants the saints to remember godly teaching. Remember godly teaching. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the apostles, uh, these were messengers at the onslaught of the early church, first-generation Christians who saw the, the risen Christ and were specially commissioned by Christ. And we think about the 12 disciples and then extending to Matthias and then the apostle Paul. What were the teachings? So in verse 18, Jude says, They told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. So who were these mockers? Who were these mockers? These were apostates, false teachers, uh, who kind of subscribed to this early Gnostic belief system. Basically, they denied the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, they said that the spirit was good, but the flesh is bad. But they used this to say that you can basically give full vent to your fleshly desires. Since flesh is bad and perishing anyway, you can just do whatever you want. And we know that that's heretical teaching. That's wrong. That's not what Christ taught, and that's not what the Bible says. And this was a distortion of the grace theology that we find in the New Testament, and they used it as a license to disengage in all sorts of licentiousness and sinful behavior. So Apostle Paul warned about these types of folks, and he, he gave a warning back in Acts 20, uh, verses 29 through 30. Um, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it. It says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves 
will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Apostle Paul was passionate about warning the saints that these wolves were coming. I don't know about you, if you've ever been in the wild or if you've ever seen on TV, wolves. They have no compassion for their prey. They just chase them down and eat them. And so that's the way that these apostates or these false teachers were being described as ravenous wolves that were there to ravage and attack the church. Jews said, uh, he used the term that they were going to be there in the last times. And this would be, the last times is referred to as uh, the time after Christ's resurrection until his second coming, which is still to come. It's referred to as the time of the Gentiles. And uh, Jesus referred to that in Luke 21, 24. And it says that these apostates would be basically going after their own lusts. So they're basically longing for what's unlawful. They're just longing for fleshiness, sinfulness, worldliness, sensuality, basically just caring for their own self-interests, okay, and greedy for money and other pleasures. And another thing that they would do is they were going to cause divisions, okay? They were causing divisions. Uh, They were agitators, uh, setting up dissension and disrupting unity. Whenever the enemy wants to get a foothold in a church or in a family, um, one of the things that he wants to do is he wants to disrupt the unity that's supposed to be there. And we see that all the time in our homes and in our churches, how Satan will pit people against each other to break up the unity. And that's what these false teachers and these apostates were doing. And Jude takes it a step further and says that they don't even have the spirit of God. So they were not true followers of Christ, destitute of anything godly. Just like the early church needed to remember the prophecies and the teachings of the apostles to help them discern we must also remember what is being explained here in this letter to help us become more discerning in a world that's full of false teachers and heretical viewpoints. Anyone, anybody today can just go online and put up a video. They can say they're an apostle or say they're a prophet or say they're a teacher of God. And they can start spouting all these things that they're saying is tr- are, are true and trying to draw people in and try to get them to follow. It's up to us as believers to stand on this. Amen. Amen. The word of God. This is our standard, regardless of what's being told to us by the world. And that will help give us discernment. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. So not only did Jude instruct the believers to remember, he also instructed them to build. Okay, what are they building? It says, build yourselves up. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Okay? 
Build yourselves up. Jude was encouraging his readers to make progress. Okay? Make progress. All right? I think there's an analogy of rising like an edifice, higher and higher, building up. Um, not long ago uh, in our neighborhood, uh, there was a, a mall that was being built uh, not far from our house. And I can remember that when they were building this mall, they didn't just, you know, start from the top down. They started by laying a strong foundation. And they took months laying the foundation and building the pillars for which the rest of the building would rest upon. In order for our faith to be built up, first, our faith needs to be anchored on a sure foundation. Amen? Too many people are putting their faith in the wrong place. However, our faith needs to be grounded and rooted in solid truth, and that truth is found in Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He's more than just a baby who was born in an animal feeding trough. Jesus is more than just a homeless Jewish preacher or a rabbi who spouted timeless truth. He is more than just a prophet. Jesus is God the Son, nothing less. Eternally existent with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that were in heaven and that were on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Jesus humbly left heaven and came to earth, and he came for a specific reason. You see, we all have a problem. It's a problem that we cannot avoid. We can't get over it. We can't get under it. We can't go around it. And we are all affected by it. And we know what this problem is. It's sin. The problem is sin. Sin is an archery term that simply means to miss the mark. We are all guilty of missing the mark of God's holy standard. In fact, humanity has constantly missed the mark of God's holy standard from day one in the Garden of Eden. We have constantly broken the commands that God has put in place for us to live by. We've lied. We've been jealous. We've placed other things before God. Some of us have stolen. Some people have fornicated. The list goes on and on. As a result of sin, by default, all of humanity is technically disqualified from having a personal relationship with God the Father on their own merit. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 1-2 says this, and you, have, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. Because of sin, we all deserve punishment. We all deserve total separation from God for all eternity. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, physically and spiritually. 
But God the Father did not want to leave us in that situation. God the Father has provided a way out, a lifeline, if you will. And it is through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Jesus, God the Son. When Jesus walked the earth, he lived a perfect life. He did not sin. He healed the sick and raised the dead. He preached to multitudes, thousands of people he fed. But most importantly, he took our punishment. He took the punishment for your sin. He took the punishment for my sin. How did he do this? By being beaten and then crucified on the cross. He was taken down from the cross and buried, but he did not stay dead. Three days later, he proved to all humanity that he was God by rising from the dead with all power in his hands. Because Jesus took our punishment and rose from the grave, we can be forgiven and have access to a relationship with God the Father for all eternity. We can't earn this. Jesus already did the heavy lifting. We just accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers. If you have not already, I beg you today to repent. Admit that you're a sinner. Turn away from your sin and confess that Jesus is Lord. Not just a prophet or another teacher, but God in the flesh. And believe in your heart that God the Father has raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 10, 9 through 11 says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus also said, my sheep, hear my voice. He says this in John 10, 27 to 29. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Salvation is available today. Hebrews 3.15 says this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So I would implore you, repent and cry out to him. Accept his gift of salvation And he will not cast you out. For those of us who are already believers, we can be certain that our foundation of our faith is secure in Christ. Colossians 2.21 says this, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast. Since since our faith is grounded in Christ, it is important for us to build on that foundation. Just like I was telling you about that mall that was being built, right? It started with that foundation and then they began to build. We build on our foundation by learning truth. 
immersing ourselves in truth, following after the truth of our faith. The truth of our faith only comes from one place, the Word of God, the Word of God. And it is only after building on truth that we can discern the difference between truth and lie. Not only must the church contend for the faith by remembering godly teaching and building up in the faith, but Jude instructed the believers to pray in the Spirit. Verse 20, it says, praying in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? The word in here can mean the interior of some hole, okay? The interior of some hole within the limits of some space, within the limits of some space, okay? Which to me suggests that praying in the Spirit is prayer covered by, surrounded by, and undergirded by the guidelines, unction, and influence of the Holy Spirit. All right? Let me say that again. Prayer in the Spirit is prayer that is covered by, surrounded by, undergirded by the guidelines, unction, and influence of the Holy Spirit. Based on study, I don't believe this particular verse is referring to praying in tongues, but instead I believe this verse is speaking about effective prayer done under the Holy Spirit's guidance and influence according to the rule of God's word with faith and fervency. The good news is that God has already equipped every believer to pray in this manner because the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Amen? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He dwells in you. Additionally, when we are unsure of what to pray as a believer, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf. The Bible says that in Romans 8, 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Fervent, intentional prayer in the Spirit is paramount when contending for our faith. Would you agree? Praying in the Spirit does not mean that we're guaranteed that God will answer our prayers with the way that we would want them to be answered. He knows what we need. Sometimes we think we know what we need, but he is the one that knows what we need. It also doesn't mean that we can always expect to receive earthly health, wealth, and prosperity, because that's a heresy that's going around these days, that if we follow God, our life is going to be all bed of roses. No, it's not true. We're going to have health issues. We're going to have problems. We're going to go through things. But the Lord is walking with us through our problems, through our infirmities, okay? Prayer in the Spirit will serve as a constant humbling experience, reminding us that we are fully dependent on God for discernment, for protection, wisdom, and provision, 
lest we become self-reliant in a culture full of ravenous wolves aimed at tearing apart the church. I can remember as a kid praying before I, I went to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. Or how about this? Before you would uh, eat your food, sometimes as a kid you would say, what, God is great and God is good. Let us thank you. Thank, let us thank him for our food. But these were just kind of repetitive things that you would say. But God is looking for prayer that connects, not just words that are idly repeated. And so that's only done as we tap into submission to the Holy Spirit and not repeating idle words. When we pray, are we just going through the motions? Are we just praying our own, in our own strength? Or are we intentionally trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in prayer? Are we allowing, or are we allowing even sin sometimes to hinder our prayer life? Because that can happen as well. It's important to understand that prayers can be hindered when our behavior and even our motives for prayer fall outside of the submission to the Holy Spirit. We see this all throughout Scripture. Prayer can be hindered by such things as unforgiveness, selfishness, dishonoring a spouse, unconfessed sin, doubt, disobedience, and not seeking God's will. We need to let go of sin that would preclude a spirit-filled prayer life. And let us seek to draw closer to the Lord and boldly come before the throne of grace, praying in the spirit, knowing that Prayer is a powerful weapon as we seek the Lord for wisdom, protection, and guidance when contending for the faith. Also knowing that this is what we have been commanded to do as believers. This is a command. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So not only must we contend for the faith by remembering godly teaching, building ourselves up in the faith, praying, but Jude instructed the believers to also keep themselves in the love of the Lord. Keep themselves in the love of God. According to scholars, keep yourselves in this passage means guard or reserve yourself from being dragged off into a life characterized by a lack of love. God is looking for believers to model what true love really is. Oftentimes we know what love is in theory. We're all familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind, not envious or boastful, not arrogant, not rude, not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but believes all things and hopes all things, endures all things. We're familiar with that passage. But in practice, it's another story. Rather than a church being a safe space where a person can be loved and love in return, people often feel hurt, rejected, 
shut out and alienated sometimes. But God is calling the church to a higher standard. We need to have agape love. It's a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. That's tough. But according to scripture, we ought to have this type of love and we are to have this love for God. We are to have this love for our fellow believers, for our neighbors, and for our enemies. And this, is, this type of love is not easy when we think about it. What does this look like on a daily basis from a practical standpoint? It looks like treating others with honor and respect. What did Jesus say? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It looks like putting others' needs before your own. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. It also looks like helping people who are in need. We think of the story of the Good Samaritan. We're all familiar with that. We also think about what Jesus said. In Matthew 25, 34 through 36, he said, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. That's love in action. It also looks like healthy conflict resolution. If somebody does something to offend you, talks about that in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you that everyone, that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. But it's all about trying to resolve conflict, not just sweeping things under the rug. That's what love looks like in the church. Forgiving people multiple times, even after they've done something to offend you. This is what love looks like. The false teachers lived lifestyles devoid of this type of love. What they offered was a fraud, essentially. They had no reverence for God, and they had no respect for people. In contrast, believers, our lives should be characterized by the supernatural love of God that is the result of the Holy Spirit in us. This is real, genuine, and it exposes the fraud of the counterfeit. Love like this is hard and very difficult. The only way to love like this It's by falling on our faces before the one who is the very embodiment of love. We have to go before God and plead with him to give us the strength, the wisdom, the ability, the fortitude, and the stamina to love the way he loves. As we continue in this passage, not only must we contend for the faith by remembering godly teaching, building up in the faith, praying in the spirit, keeping ourselves in the love of God, 
Jude also says we must look toward the coming of Christ. Verse 21, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In spite of everything that was going on with the false teachers, the believers needed to wait expectantly for the return of Jesus. This would mean mercy and grace for the repentant believer and judgment for any unrepentant apostates. In the meantime, Jude explains that his readers had a responsibility to three groups of people, which we're going to look at. Let's look at verse 22, the doubters. It says in verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. These could, scholars say these could be believers who are confused, who are doubting or wondering whether they should follow the false teachers. So there need to be mercy granted to them and some discipleship needed for them. Verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. This is a reference to unbelievers who were perhaps already following the false teachers. The, the truth of the gospel needed to be shared with them so as to snatch them away from the fire. And then to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And this could be a reference to the apostates or the actual heretics that their mercy even needed to be shown to them so that they could repent and turn around. But they had to be careful not to get caught into what these apostates were teaching as they were trying to reach them. None of these groups should be slandered, but should, should be dealt with in love and mercy the same way that the Lord has dealt with us. We have to ask ourselves, how are we when we're sharing our faith? First of all, are we even challenging ourselves to share? Because it can be, a, it can be hard to do that. It can be intimidating it's not easy to talk to a friend or a family member or a total stranger about Christ. There's a lot of fear sometimes that can be associated with that. There can be a lot of trepidation, nervousness even. The truth, you, you, you all want to know a secret? Even pastors get scared to preach in front of congregations. There's always an element of nervousness that comes. But we have to push through that. And then when we finally get up the courage to stand up and share, how are we sharing it? As we're talking to our family, as we're talking to those who may be caught in heretical teachings, or talking to someone who's maybe even teaching her heresy themselves, how do we do it? Are we doing it with mercy? Are we doing it with love? Are we sharing with compassion, knowing that the same amount of compassion was given to us by God. It's a challenge, but this is what God is calling the church to do. Not only must we remember godly teaching, build ourselves up in the faith, pray in the spirit, keep ourselves in the love of God, and look forward to the coming of Christ, we must know who gives us the victory. We must know who gives us the victory. All of these things that Jude mentioned for the readers to do was a tall order. With the apostasy and all that was required to contend for the faith, 
it would be easy for the church to lose heart. And it was important that Jude remind them where their help was coming from and who would ultimately deliver the church from apostasy. Jude ends his letter with this great doxology. In verse 24, it starts, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. In the present, Jesus is able to keep the church from falling or slipping into the lies of apostasy. And in the future, Jesus is able to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. For those of us who are believers on Judgment Day, we will not stand condemned because Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. And the righteousness of Christ is now placed on us, wrapped around us. Jesus will present us faultless before his Father. Amen. All for, all, all, all of it is to the praise of the, of, of the Lord. All of our praise and all of our worship from this day on and forevermore belongs to God our Savior, who alone is wise. To him be glory and majesty, dominion and power. There is none that, is more, that has more splendor, more might, more authority, more sovereignty, more capacity, and more ability than God, both now and forever. And it is he who gives us the victory. Amen. And this concludes my message. Um, I'm going to end off in a word of prayer, and then I'll turn it back over to my brother here. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O oh God, for your word. We thank you, O oh God, for just uh, the fact that we can look forward to the coming of Christ. We thank you that, Lord, we know that you are the one that gives us the victory. And, Father, we pray that you would give us the strength to contend for our faith in the midst of a chaotic world, in the midst of a world that devalues truth in the midst of a world that elevates opinion over truth in the midst of a world that elevates heresy over the gospel father give us the strength to love like you give us the strength to remember the teachings that are in your word father god give us the strength father god to share the gospel with others Give us the strength, Father God, to pray with fervency. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory because you're the only one that's worthy of it. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.